Hey everybody and welcome back to the podcast. This is your host Madeline Moon and I'm here with another incredible episode. Today we're talking with Andrea Owen. She's an author, mentor, and certified life coach who helps women get what they want by letting go of perfectionism, control, and isolation and choosing to practice courage instead. She has helped thousands of women manage their inner critic to create loving connections and live their most kick-ass life. She is the proud author of 52 Ways to Live a Kick-Ass Life, BS-free wisdom to ignite your inner badass and live the life you deserve. When she's not juggling her full coaching practice and writing her second book, Andrea's busy competing in triathlons, chasing your seven-year-old son and five-year-old daughter, or, as her bio says, making out with her husband, Jason. She is also a retired roller derby player, having skated under the name Veronica Vane. That is awesome. Learn more about Andrea at yourkickasslife.com and join in the fun and wisdom at facebook.com slash yourkickasslife. Andrea is spectacular. I, there's not much that I can really say that can meet up to what you're about to enjoy and listen to, but her insight on relationships, on moving on in life, and creating the, the type of life that you really desire, they are endless. She has so much knowledge. She covers so many different topics. Her website's incredible, so I really recommend you check that out. But Andrea is someone who obviously has gone through a lot in her past, as you'll hear, she's experienced a lot of life, a lot of learning, and instead of letting those things weigh her down and pull her down, she's used those to help other people create the type of life that they want and learning from the things you've gone through without holding shame or guilt. She is certified under Brene Brown in vulnerability, um, so that says a lot about her if you know who Brene Brown is. She's very, very, she's a very inspirational woman. If you haven't listened to Brene Brown's TED Talk on vulnerability, do that first thing. And Andrea has studied with uh, under her and her teachings. So she's very knowledgeable about the kind of shame that we hold about ourselves and things we've gone through. So if you've ever experienced shame holding you back, I mean, who hasn't? You're going to love this episode. And before we head on over, the review of the week comes from Jay Conyers, and she says, a must-listen podcast with five stars. Madeline is real and without embarrassment about the things that many face. She's passionate about sharing her story and helping others overcome struggles with body image and insecurities. Great content and interesting and informative interviews. Thank you so much, Jay Conyers. I, I really, really appreciate that. I appreciate all of your uh, reviews on iTunes. They mean so much to me. They make a huge difference in iTunes on where I rank. So if you want to help spread the word of the podcast, either leave a review or send a friend one of these episodes that you think would speak to them most. You'll help a friend. You'll help me. You'll be doing something awesome. So thank you so much for anyone that shares this. You've been helping me tremendously, and I, I couldn't tell you how grateful I am. Um, but hopefully that you know I am super grateful. Now, I'm ready to head on over to the show. One last reminder, I'm really doing a lot of YouTube videos lately, so make sure you're following me on Facebook and on YouTube, um, and just search for Maddie Moon, and you'll find my latest videos, and then you can follow them, because I've been having a lot of fun doing more of those, but the best place probably to keep up with all that is my Facebook page for right now, because I'm working on getting my custom URL for YouTube. Right now, it's just a whole bunch of numbers and letters, but hopefully I'll be able to get just youtube.com slash Maddie Moon, but I don't have it yet. I will keep you up to date on that. So um, yeah, I'm super excited about this episode. Let's go head on over to episode 77. Welcome to the Mind Body Musings podcast 
the show for everyone and anyone that is ready to break free from the dogmatic chains of the health and fitness industry and create their own life free from restrictions. Now, introducing your host, Madeline Moon, a former fitness model gone sane and the author of the popular self-love book, The Perfection Myth. If you dig the show and you're looking for more insight on how to stop food and exercise from controlling your life, check out her website, maddiemoon.com, and grab your free guide. If you're ready to end dieting once and for all, it's time you learn how to pursue real health instead. Enjoy the show. Hey, and welcome back to the show, everyone. I'm here with Andrea. How are you doing today? I'm doing really good. I was trying to sneak in a sip of coffee there. and like, <laughs> I know that was really fast. I'm like, hello, everybody. Hi. How are you, Andrea? Andrea, start talking. <laughs> I know. No, I'm good. I'm good. I have my very warm cup of coffee on this chilly fall day, and I'm just really excited to be here. Yeah, this is this is awesome. So I've been digging into your website the past couple weeks, especially right before I do an interview. I just like spend at least a couple hours the mm-hmm. day before refreshing my mind. And I was going through your website, and it is beautiful. It is oh, just one of the prettiest websites I've ever seen. I'm so inspired when I look at it. I'm like, yeah, yes, I want to have a kick-ass life. I want this to be like rocking. Like, let's do this. So your website definitely gives off that vibe. Thank you. It's so funny because like, I think it's one of those things where because I'm having it totally redone. And it's going to be done probably like, uh, I don't know, I'm going to say like very beginning of January. And I'm, I'm, I'm getting nervous because for some reason people, I having more and more people tell me how much they love it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what if I'm making it interesting? All the colors are going to stay the same. The vibe is going to stay the same. It's just getting a little bit of a facelift. And I turned 40 this year. So maybe I was needing like a little bit of a refresher. <laughs> but I appreciate your kind words. You're welcome. But I was kidding. I, I don't like it. You need to change it. <laughs> <laughs> it's really bad. I don't want to look at it anymore. I don't have it pulled up right now. That feels better. Okay, so yeah, I just I'm really excited to learn about you as a person. So let's dive into your background and your story. How did you get to where you are today with your amazing coaching business and uh, how you can just teach people how to live the most amazing life that they have possible? And yeah, just tell us your story. How much time you got, Maddie? It's a, um, it's a long one. It depends on which which story you want to hear. And if I can kind of wrap it all up and bundle it into like a two minute version, basically, um, I had a, I had a great life. You know, if I'm generally speaking, I I had a, a good childhood and growing up. And what what happened? You know, the sh- very short version is that I found myself. I was thirty, or once I thirty or thirty one, I can't remember, and. I had been married for a couple of years and I had been with my husband. We were in a 10 and a half year relationship before we even decided to get married. And we uh, were talking about conceiving our first child together. You know, we, that's usually what people do typically you know, when you've been married for a couple of years. And he had an affair with our neighbor and got her pregnant and um, ended my marriage, obviously. And then I got quickly into another relationship. I mean, the ink wasn't even dry. And um, that ended up being, if you can imagine, even worse than the first one. And so I, I found myself really at a crossroad and just uh, kind of um, 
I call it like, I don't know if I'm allowed to say bad words on your podcast, but like my what the F-U-C-K moment, like where I just was like looking at the sky, like I know that this is not where I was destined to be. You know, all my friends at that point, you know, like I felt like really had their lives together and, and I was just in compare and despair mode. I was so ashamed of where I had ended up, mostly because I realized at that point that I had tolerated it. And I, my intuition was telling me to leave both of those relationships and I didn't listen. And so that's really what started the trajectory of my, I call it like my conscious journey. Cause before that I had been living completely like unconsciously on autopilot and I woke up really and just took responsibility for my life and started to change. And that was about nine years ago. And it's been quite a ride as they say. Mm -hmm. What were some of those warning signs? I mean, with the first one, it's kind of obvious what was uh, Uh a huge deal breaker. Mm -hmm. But what were some of the other warning signs that you had experienced in those relationships where you thought maybe this isn't the best, but you kept going with it anyways? Mm -hmm. That's a really great question. So my my first husband and I met when I was was 17. And and he was 18. We were young and, and wild and in love. And it was fun then. And I think it was a great relationship then. And a couple of years into it, I started to mature and grow out of him and grow out of our relationship. But I was too afraid to leave. And I was in love with him <laughs> very much. I, I loved him. And and I was really enmeshed in his family as well. He had a, a large family, several siblings. And, you know, and they were married. And it was this big, fun family. And I was too afraid to leave. And I didn't have any self-confidence. And um, I didn't love myself at all enough to listen to that voice. And so, I mean, that was just the first kind of overall feeling of, I think that this is expiring. And, and it wasn't like it was a voice that was telling me that was really like an overall feeling. And there were little things along the way that that would happen that I just was like outgrowing. Um, like he was still getting in fist fights and like, and stuff like that, you know, and I'm like, I'm done, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we're not in high school anymore. And just kind of like little things that were happening. And I didn't listen and the years kept ticking by. And um, there was definitely more obvious things like around infidelity that I didn't, uh, that people were telling me that I didn't believe, you know, that he denied and I didn't believe them when at that point my gut was like, this probably like isn't good. And then when we, I really wanted to get married, you know, when we got into like our mid twenties because it was time and, you know, I sort of like felt my own biological clock ticking and we at that point had a lot of history together. And I, you know, and I had met other guys along the way that like, I was like, God, they seem like really great marriage material. And I'd, I'd like to even like date them and, you know, possibly have like a future with this mature young man and, um, never would follow through. Cause then I would always end up going back to him. And, um, even when we, I wanted to get engaged so badly just for the sake of being engaged, just for the sake Mm. of having the wedding, just for the sake of that American dream, because it's what we were supposed to do. And I, that I could not see the forest in spite of the trees. (laughs) And that's what I wanted. I, I kind of like, we were actually in couples counseling together before we got married. And it was my therapist that had known me since I was 18. And she finally looked at me one day because we kept coming in for the same issues. And he was there. And she said, Andrea, he is not going to change. And you have two choices. You can either accept the way he is and deal with this, or you can break up and start over and move on. And both were equally painful. 
And I was like, okay, both have terrible outcomes and I'm going to choose the safer one, which is staying with him. And so, I mean, that, that was that one. And then my second relationship, um, first date, my intuition was like, this guy is way too good to be true. And, uh, the stories that he was telling me, I was just like, mm, that doesn't at all make sense. And the <laughs> my intuition was at that point, like kind of like screaming and I was not listening. And, um, it got to the point where I just got really angry, but I was still, for me, honestly, Maddie, like it came down to in both relationships, I would have rather been in a crappy relationship than none at all. I didn't know who I was outside of a relationship. I had been in one since I was 15. You know, I had a, a high school boyfriend before my first husband, and I did not know how to be alone or take care of myself or to even think for myself. So I, it was essentially, I was a love addict is what I was, and I didn't know it until way after my relationships had crashed and burned. But um, it's one of the symptoms of, one of the many symptoms of love addiction, but I I was too afraid to be alone because I could not be with myself. I could not be with life as it was handed to me. I felt like I couldn't handle it. So I had to hang on to somebody. Mm. You know, in some relationships, so you, throughout this entire story, I, I'm just having memories come back, I guess. Like sure. everything yeah. you are saying is making me go, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Like, yes, yes, mm -hmm. yes, yes, everything. And I've like goosebumps from it. But when you said what your therapist had told you, the you learn to accept or you move on, mm -hmm. what is that fine line? Uh, let me see how I can ask this question. Okay, so there are some things about the partner that you're with that you're, you want or you need to accept, I guess, like uh -huh. for the right person, it's like, okay, they have a ton of quirks and you accept them because you love them. How do you distinguish the line between accept and love and stay with them? Because you can get over it between the other side where it's like, they really will drive you crazy for the rest of your life. Uh -huh. And like, you want so badly to believe you can be okay with it, but you don't know like that in between land. It's like, accept these quirks. Cause I do love them or or her, or mm -hmm. uh, leave because I I don't know if I can imagine my whole life just accepting. Right. I think it's a really personal choice and one that, again, going back to like that intuition that you know if it's okay or not. Because like deep down, I knew it was not okay. Like I, in my journal, I would write in like all caps and take up like three lines, like how angry I was and how disrespected I felt and how I just wanted, I think I wrote something like, I just want to be respected as a human being. And like, that's not okay. That's not okay to feel that way. It is not okay to feel angry most of the time in your intimate relationship. And like, like now in my marriage, like my husband leaves his shoes out and it drives me bonkers. But you know, it's like, that's a quirk. To me, like that's a quirk. Um, he also like leaves his, there's just like these little things like laundry and like he'll leave clothes in the washer and forget about them. Like those are quirks, you know, like it's not a quirk to stay out all night with your buddies, like drinking and good doing God knows what else and not calling your partner. 
it's not a quirk to get into like screaming fights when you're calling each other names and hanging up on each other. And like, I'm saying we, because that's what he and I did to each other. You know, I was definitely no saint in that relationship. It was a mutually (laughs) verbally and emotionally abusive relationship. So I think, I don't know if I'm answering your question very well. Like I can't say, like if someone called in and said like, this is what's happening, like I can probably say like, that's not okay. But like, listen to your inner voice. And if you, if you aren't, like, I just, I also feel like everyone has their own, tolerance for suffering and apparently mine was really high in relationships and I also think that I was not meant to be in that relationship longer than a few years and I was meant to do bigger things and so the universe was like trying to tell me you know like jumping out in the middle of the street like hello and I'm just like driving by I'm like I see you but I'm not gonna do anything Mm -hmm. so like I got hit on the head with a two by four like I really think that the universe dropped my ex-husband's girlfriend into our life (laughs) to change the trajectory of both of our lives, all three of our lives, really, because she was deeply affected by what happened too, because he had lied to her as well. So like, I kind of went off track there, but I think that um, if you're listening to this and you feel that gut feeling, and so here's another point I want to make. And if you're listening to this and this is like your life, like watch out where you're making it your job to change your partner. Because I think that, like, there's little things that you can change, like learning how to communicate better. You know, I've, in the work that I do, I know how to communicate a lot better than I used to. And so I work with my husband on that. And also we have gone to counseling for it because sometimes I don't use my own tools because I'm a human. (laughs) I make mistakes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can teach it, but using it sometimes in my marriage is different. So that's the type of thing like that someone can learn to change. But if a person is unwilling to go to counseling or um, uh, I lost my train of thought there for a second, I get all fired up and like sweaty about it. (laughs) But I, I, I think that like if you are making it your job to change that person, good luck, honey. Like it's just, it is not your, it, it is, it is crazy making. It is crazy making. And it's not, I hate to say it, but it is not worth it. It is absolutely not worth it. You deserve a person who is at, at least respectful. Right. And what if this partner you're with, cause I have, I have quite a few friends in this online coaching world and we all trade like our stories and struggles and and things like that and I've heard before stories from just some of my friends of like being in a relationship that's a good relationship and there's no really suffering in a kind of uh, sense of like lots of pain like what you're describing mm-hmm. not feeling respected as a human being but not necessarily feeling happy either and trying to change the partner being codependent but mm-hmm. it's not the partner's fault you know it's really just within that person is that deeper healing work that needs to be done within that person or could it really be like more of the relationship just not being the right fit or again I think yeah like I I think I wrote this in a um when I turned 40 like I wrote a blog post like the things that I wish I would have known when I turned 20 and it was one of the things was the best time to work on your marriage is when you're not married yet and that's one of them is is really like pulling yourself out of the relationship, not literally, but just like autonomy and looking at your own stuff. And I think that all of us, no matter how we grew up, we have family stuff like we have family of origin stuff that needs to be addressed and needs to be worked through. Like we all have that inner child that is still hurting over something that happened. And I, th- I think it's so important to do that because 
I, I think a lot of people look at their partner and, you know, and money and their job and, and other things like that to make them happy. And it is the race to nowhere. And it will, it, it might work for a little bit, but it's fleeting. I mean, you know, this in like terms of body image, like how many people think like, oh, if I just like lose X amount of pounds or, you know, win that fitness competition or can look amazing in a bikini, like then I'll be happy in my relationship. And it doesn't have anything to do with that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we try over and over again. I mean, still trust me, there are times when I'm like, maybe things will get better if I, you know, finally this is the summer where, you know, no, 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 no. <laughs> It quickly comes and goes, but I, it is. I think it always boils down to your own stuff because you will bring that into your relationships, right? Pretty much, no matter what relationship it is, it'll come out like that. Absolutely, right? Okay, really good advice. So, speaking of blog posts that you've written, you wrote one recently about two traumatic events in your life and three addictive behaviors that came from them. And I mm-hmm. thought this post was. What, when did I read it? Like a day or two ago? It, yeah, I, it just came out in the beginning of November. So okay. November 10th, I sent it out. Yeah. Really powerful stuff. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So what happened was, is, is in the post I talk about, you know, I had, I had a great childhood. And what I realize now, and I've had a conversation with my parents about this. This isn't news to them, is that I grew up an only child. I had half siblings that were much older than I was and were out of the house by the time I was in kindergarten. And my parents, I came from a, what's like called it an emotionally illiterate house. Like we didn't talk about our feelings. Like when stuff happened, we just, I remember my mom's brother died suddenly and no one had ever talked about death or grief in my family or loss. And she, she basically stayed in her room for about three days. It was dark. My dad told me, don't talk to your mom and don't bother her. And when she finally came out of her bedroom, she looked like a zombie because she had been like popping Valium and my mom doesn't even drink. And I remember just like, I got the message very early that we do not talk about any of those things. So if you have any feelings besides happy ones, you need to go do those in private and you don't tell anybody about it. You don't reach out for help. And my mom's always been a tough lady and she's assertive and I, I love her for that. But what came with that also is this whole notion of that being strong is extremely valuable as a female. And like you don't put up with anything from anybody. But what also comes with that is that feelings are to be kind of bulldozed, you know, and like you just get over them. Like the whole point of them is to get through them no matter no matter what it takes. You just don't process them. So that's kind of like in a nutshell, how I grew up feeling. There was no element of vulnerability at all. So I was scared of them. Like I didn't know how to be with my own. So how the hell am I going to be with anybody else's if I can't even be with my own? So as I grew older and got into intimate relationships and, and it was like vulnerability and intimacy are twin sisters really. And so, and it's the thing that all of us are after really it is. And it was a thing I was after, but yet it was the same thing I was so terrified of. So it's a bad place to be in, right? (laughs) I want this, but uh, no, it's way too scary. So it was this constant push and pull and how that manifested was in an eating disorder and severe codependency and, and love addiction. And what my love addiction looked like was uh, I was never faithful in my relationships because I was too busy. In my first marriage, I was like when we got engaged and married, that's when I stopped everything. Um, cause I made up like that made it okay. But before that in our whole relationship, I was so busy 
being angry with him. And uh, I just, I was chasing down relationships and that rush of a new relationship or flirting and hooking up was what I fed off of. And that for me was my drug of choice for many, many years. And so what happened prior to that, and I kind of skipped over like really the straw that broke the camel's back was um, right after I graduated from high school, I was 18, my mom left my dad and I had no idea that their marriage was ever even in trouble. So I was floored. I mean, talk about having the rug pulled out from under me. Um, there was a couple of other things I didn't mention publicly on the post, but I feel fine saying it here. My dad checked himself into an inpatient rehab treatment for alcoholism, which thank God I'm proud of him. He's got 20 plus years of sobriety now. And also, uh, my senior year, I got pregnant and had an abortion. And when I was 19, right after a year after my mom left, my, um, I was date raped at a party. Um, and the person that did that was not my boyfriend. So I had like this about 18 month period where just, you know, everything hit the fan. And like looking back, I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back is like, that's when really like I started to unravel. And that's when my codependency just completely went off the handle. And then that's when all of my infidelity started. And um, I hated who I'd become. Like I was basically on autopilot. I was so ashamed of my behaviors and so angry with everyone for not doing, not acting the way I wanted them to when I would never, ever look at my own behaviors. You know, it's like, it's all your fault. Like if you guys would just change and treat me the way I deserve to be treated, then everything would be fine. And then I also, you know, validation and love and compliments and all these things was what I wanted so badly. But when I got them, I rejected it because I didn't feel worthy of actually having it. And I didn't know how to process it. It just, it was a very uncomfortable, even like telling the story, it makes me uncomfortable because I remember how that felt. And just, I didn't know how to be with life. I didn't know how to be with all these feelings that were coming after me, at me from all angles. It was never talked about or taught really. I did not ha- know how to cope day in and day out with even life's like little <laughs> things. So uh, it manifested outwardly as um, unhealthy behaviors. Mm-hmm. So when did that shift happen to where you stopped perceiving everyone else being, you know, out to get you and you started to cultivate more, I guess, would it be self-love? Mm-hmm. How did that well, I Well, my, my therapist had mentioned codependency to me. And it's what's funny is that I never told my therapist about my infidelities and my relationship because she would have quickly seen that I was a love addict. So I kept that from her because I... I was so ashamed of that behavior, I couldn't even tell my therapist. Like my best friend at the time knew because she was out, you know, with me with all and all of my shenanigans. But she was really the only one that knew about those skeletons. And so I read Melody Beattie's Codependent No More. And she, God, she wrote that in like the early 80s. So she's like the godmother of, of codependence and recovery, I should say. And I read that. And I mean, it's so interesting to me because I still have my first copy that I got and I highlighted. And if anyone's ever like loved self-help books, like keep all your self-help books that you highlight and write margins in because years later you're going to look at them and go, oh my God, <laughs> <laughs> look at how far I've come. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like like journaling. So I still have my copy and I, I'm, I looked at all the stuff that I like highlighted and put stars next to and like arrows pointing at it. And that was really such a huge eye opener. Um, I also went to Codependence Anonymous to help me. It's basically a 12-step program for codependence. Oh, wow. And um, that changed my life. Like those two things and, and just really talking about it in therapy and and journal- I did a lot of journaling and just releasing 
responsibility and just saying like how he acts and how he behaves and his actions in these circumstances like have nothing to do with me. Here's what I have. Here's what I can take responsibility for. And I would list all the things that I could own and that were on me. And um, that's really what changed it. And then when kind of serendipitously, the relationship that I had after my my first husband, he turned out to be a drug addict who had lied about having cancer. He told me on the second date that he had uh, non-Hodgkin lymphoma. And I believed him for months and months and months. He, he used that to cover up a drug addiction. So I'm from San Diego. And when you live in San Diego, Tijuana, Mexico, is just a hop, skip, and a jump away where you can go and pretty much get anything you want. And I thought we were going down there to get his cancer medication, which, by the way, I was funding. I was supporting him financially. Wow. Actually getting OxyContin and Vicodin. And, you know, it's like you would have thought I would – it would have been a red, huge red flag. And it was, you know, I just wasn't listening to my intuition. He would never, he would never have me go into the pharmacies with him. He would always have me stay outside. It was just like all these things. So anyway, nine months into that relationship, it completely blows up. And he went to rehab. He agreed to go to rehab and in Arizona. And I went with him. They have like family week when you, when you go for a certain length of time. And when I was in family week with them, one of the speakers where they were talking about love addiction and and I was like what is this so I bought a book in their bookstore and it was the same thing as codependence and love addiction like if you're a love addict you are definitely a codependent but it's not always they're not mutually exclusive so it's like you can be a codependent and not a love addict what is a love addict I don't think I've ever a heard love that addicts? oh girl okay so <laughs> love addicts we confuse we confuse sex and the rush of a new relationship with intimacy. So we become obsessed with our partners. And when I say obsessed, it means, and, and you can Google it, like what it, like, I think there's like loveaddiction.org or something. They, there's different kinds of love addicts. And, and really it's like this cyclical thing that we go through where it's like, we feel terrible about ourselves. So we go out and look for a brand new relationship. And so that initial rush of our relationship and we tend to be really attracted to people that are similar to us so um like like um romantic movies romantic comedies like that's our real life like we think real life is like that like falling madly in love with someone like the love at first sight like you know this amazing first date like that's our life and so then we become obsessed with that person and we can think I mean it's a little bit confusing because like a lot of times falling in love feels like that but for a love addict it is like 10,000 times it feels like I mean god it's like if anyone's ever done cocaine not that I condone it (laughs) but it's like that it's just like oh my like the world is on fire that's how I can describe it and it's just it's it's obsession it is sheer obsession and it's like not being able to be alone at all, ever. And mm. uh, I'm, I'm not doing very much justice in describing it. Like if anyone's interested, like I invite you to, to Google it. And Google has much better answers than I do. But a really great book on that is Facing Love Addiction by Pia Melody. And um, I love that she does makes the connection between codependency and, and love addiction and also talks about recovery in this book. But you know, like one part of recovery for a love addict is to not be in a relationship for like six months to a year, like not, no dating, no talking to someone with the prospect of possibly dating them when your year is up and things like that. And it's just learning how to 
learning how to feel your feelings, because that's essentially what we're doing, is we're avoiding being with ourselves and feel it's it's a way to numb, really mm-hmm. is what it is. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it is. And uh, for me, that's what I was doing. And I was I was creating my validation through men. And the more I was validated and loved and adored by men, the better I felt about myself. And if I wasn't getting that, I felt like a complete piece of crap human being. That's what the bottom, and it, like, it's like a complete roller coaster. Like just, I was relying on external sources to esteem me. Wow. It's so interesting to hear your story about um, relying on these external sources for validation because I know I can relate to this and I'm sure a lot of my audience members can relate to this but it's the same exact thing with our body Mm -hmm. it's the same thing like what you're saying is like and especially for me when I did these competitions I like wanted the judges to to, you know affirm that my body's on the right track or say my body's better than this body and like Mm -hmm. I deserve this I deserve this uh, prize or whatever but it's all it all comes down to numbing and a distraction in a way we feel like we're in control and for some people it's men for some people it's food for some people it's like weight loss exercise exercise, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah and and I did both I mean there were times where I was doing both when my eating disorder was driving the bus as well as my love addiction and and codependence but then, then there were also times when my eating disorder would kind of move over and I mean, looking back, if I looked at the timeline of it, it probably was when my relationship was okay. Probably my eating disorder was not something that mm. I was engaging in, but love addiction absolutely still was. So it was always one of them. And as a side note, what's also interesting, Maddie, is that when I got help for my love addiction and my eating disorder, my codependence, and this was like after I had met my second husband, actually, and we were married. And I was well on my way in recovering those. And I had not been symptomatic in actually a couple of years. And I had, you know, had my first baby and I started drinking more heavily. So I had always been like a pretty like quote unquote normal drinker. And, you know, I could take it or leave it. At the end of the night, I may or may not have like a beer or something. And most nights I probably wouldn't. But I would notice like on the weekends out with my friends, I would binge drink. But I was in my 20s. So I was kind of like, it's no big deal. It's fine. And then when I started to heal from all those other behaviors, I, I noticed, like, I remember one night I drank an entire bottle of wine by myself, like, on a Tuesday. I was like, well, this is interesting. And then that went downhill quicker than <laughs> I can even tell you. So just in a few months, I realized, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm an alcoholic. And um, it, what's interesting is I just, I traded it in. I traded in those old behaviors, and then drinking picked up. And thank God for me, I knew what was happening very quickly because a lot of people live in that for a long time. And so I was able to get sober quickly and I have not drank in over four years. And, um, but I was kind of angry at that point. I was like, really God, like, do I get nothing? (laughs) I can't, I can't obsess about my weight. I can't run around and chase men. I can't drink. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have nothing. And that's kind of, it was kind of like, yeah, Andrea, you have to like be naked with life. And I'll tell you what, like there are times still where I'm like, I can't, I cannot do this. I can't deal with this. Like I have to have something. And the truth is, is like, no, I, I actually don't. Like I can handle it. And people always ask me like, what do you do now? And I can tell you the thing that I don't do that is extremely dangerous for me is to hide out. 
and to isolate. Like I know I am in big trouble if something's going on and I have not told anybody about it. So that's why I have, I have intentionally created um, a soul tribe of women. Um, I'm extremely blessed, I think, because I work in personal development. But even if you have like that one person in your life that you can come to when you are falling apart, when life is so hard and messy that you feel like you're done and you want to hide at the bottom of a bottle of wine or you want to restrict calories or whatever it is that you can call and say, I can't. I can't do this and I, I need you for like 15 minutes. Can you just hear my story? And, and you can fall apart and that person doesn't try to fix it and that person doesn't tell you you're being dramatic or that you know they don't try to one-up you and tell you how much harder their life is because we've all had those responses and we may have been that person that responds that way. But if you can, if you have that person that can give you true compassion and empathy, you have won the lottery with friendships. And if you don't have that person, I invite you to keep looking for that person. Right. That's such a powerful thing to have in your life. And I also want to take note for everyone listening that you don't have to have something huge and uh, life changing going on to feel upset. Like, Mm -hmm. like, you know, exactly like you were saying, Andrea, you know, your feelings are meant to be felt. So you could just be upset about something that would seem trivial to anyone else. But that doesn't mean you can't feel upset about it. That doesn't mean you can't have a moment of, oh my gosh, what is going on in my life? I can't believe this is happening. Because oftentimes I find myself being like that. Like, I shouldn't feel upset I'm a brat because I'm upset about this. Mm -hmm. Like, whoa, like first Mm -hmm. world problems. Oh my gosh, I need to like, you know, put on my big girl panties and be okay with it. But the more I do that, the more I realize I'm just not, I, I bottle things up. I'm not being true to myself and... I try to have this masculine personality where nothing can get to to me. Like nothing bothers me. Everything's okay. And then I realize I'm starting to get upset about a lot of little things because I don't allow myself to be upset from that that first thing long ago. It's like mm-hmm. keep stacking up, stacking up. And then something big happens. And then before I know it, I'm looking towards a, a way to control my weight, right? So it's, right, exactly. you've got to allow yourself to feel those feelings regardless of how big they are. Yeah. And I wanted to underline too, what you just said is that I think that it's important for you to be aware of when you know you're in trouble. So for you, you might not even realize it. What I gather from what you were saying is sometimes you don't even realize it until you start thinking about restricting. Mm-hmm. And it's the same for me. It's like, I know that I'm in big trouble when I start thinking to myself, like, got a drink sounds like really amazing right now. So I know I should have called someone yesterday. So <laughs> I think it's really good for you to A, know your triggers and B, like know when you're already in trouble. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So you, uh, you were trained under Dr. Brene Brown, right? Mm-hmm. How incredible is that? What? Tell me what that looks like. It was incredible. And yeah, I have a coaching certification with the, the Coaches Training Institute. And then more recently, um, went to San Antonio to train with her and her senior faculty. She has a certification. Um, I believe there's about a thousand people now that are certified facilitators. It's called The Daring Way based on her 14 plus years of research. And it's basically a method it's a 12-step process, well, not like, a, not like the 12-step program, but it is a 12-step program um, for learning how to dare greatly. And, you know, in a nutshell, it's about vulnerability and it's about courage and there's shame work involved. And um, it's, it's a lot of times it's done in groups. I do it 
one-on-one with women and it's incredible. It's, it's, it's so incredible. Like I can't, can't even Maddie, like it's just, it's life changing and I've gone through it and it, it changed my life. The way I describe it is like, I feel like it like flipped me upside down and shook out all the change that was like deep in my pockets. And, um, it just, it, it helps you figure out so many different things like, um, the things that get in the way, like one of my favorite things and what I'm going to write about in my second book is the, is the armor that we wear when we go out into the world. And for, for most of my people and probably a lot of your people, it's perfectionism. And it's that fear that it's that unbelievable fear that if people knew who we really were underneath the masks that we wear, they would not love us and they would not accept us and they would reject us when in fact it's just being human and some of the stories that we have and the mistakes that we've made along the way. But we, uh, a lot of women don't really resonate with the whole aspect of shame. And they're like, I don't walk around with a lot of shame. And like, I get that. Like, I don't feel like I do either. (laughs) But if you're not claiming shame, shame is claiming you. And what I mean by that is that if you don't look at the shame you have in your life in the past and present, because we all have it, none of us, unless we're sociopaths, like none of us are exempt from it. If you're not looking at it, then it is running your life. And if you engage in perfectionism or people pleasing or isolating, or um, if you have like the imposter complex, uh, if you lash out and you blame, you have shame. And I've written about that because so many people are like, well, that's for other people. You know, that's for people that have like had these horrible mistakes or, you know, and no, sisters, (laughs) we all have it. Mm-hmm. So would you say that would look like def- like the way I would refer to it as defending something like someone says a statement and then another person will get really upset and hot and bothered over it. And that's because they're saying, you know, you know, you're wrong. I'm right. Blah, blah, blah. Would that be shame? Um, maybe. And here's here's how I explain it. And this actually dives into one of the lessons that comes later in the program, but it's like figuring out your wanted and unwanted identities. And if anyone's ever done a free webinar with me, you have heard me explain this. So all of us have unwanted identities, like the ways we would never want the world to perceive us. And the easiest way to do it is to break it down into areas of your life because it's too big to look at your entire life. So like, let's look at um, like work, for example, you probably would never want to be, be perceived as incompetent, as a fraud, as lazy, as unintelligent, under-certified. So all of these things that you're kind of like, oh my God, no. <laughs> or embody, like everybody listening, you know, probably has like a list that you could make of the ways that you do not want to be perceived in your body. Maybe it's um, sloppy, unattractive, old, lazy, fat, like all of these words around how we do not want to be perceived by others. And then on the flip side, we also have these ideal identities. Like we want to be perceived as what? And, you know, maybe if it's in the area of, um, I know for like partnerships, you want to be perceived as calm and open and wise and fun. Um, Like you wouldn't want to be perceived as like hysterical, stressed, demanding. Do you see what I'm saying? Like where I'm going with this? Like a lot of us don't know consciously that these exist, but they're running around in your head. And whether you put them down on paper or not, they are dictating how you act in this world. So if in regards to shame, anytime you are at risk for one of your unwanted identities 
to be known because we make mistakes. You know, it's like we're human. And, you know, maybe you make a mistake like with, I don't know, Maddie, like maybe you have like a one-on-one client or something and um, she isn't happy or like you have an off day and she's just like that whole session didn't resonate with me and I don't know if I want to continue with your group program or your, your one-on-one. So that's threatening one of your unwanted identities. Someone is perceiving you how you do not ever want to be perceived. So you are vulnerable to shame in that moment. That's why it's so important for us to know our unwanted identities in every area of our life. So what usually happens instead of us practicing shame resilience, which is what I teach, we either isolate and we don't tell anybody about what happened and we just feel terrible about ourselves. We stay in shame or we people please. You know, you might like go overboard with this person, give her a bunch of free sessions, like things that don't really like you don't really ever want to do, but you do it to try to make up for it. Or you throw yourself into work and try to perfect and perform, which is what a lot of people do. Or you come out swinging and you fight shame with shame. Like, well, maybe you're just stupid. You know what I mean? Like, not that you would say that, but like, I'm just giving examples of of what it might look like. And that's not shame resilience and that's staying in shame. So did I do an okay job of explaining? Oh, (laughs) yeah. On and on. (laughs) No, that was that was amazing. That was perfect. So shame resilience, then what Mm -hmm. does that look like when when you're in that moment of feeling shameful and wanting to lash out? How do you do you accept it? Do you Mm -hmm. sit in the moment? Do you meditate on it? Like what all do you do (laughs) to be okay with it? Well, the first, like, I want to clear up a misconception and that I know that because of Brene's work that there are a lot, people are talking about shame more and more, which I love, but a, a misconception is that we can become like exempt from it and we can learn how to like get rid of shame. And you might see other personal development people talking about that. And I just, I be careful because we are not, unless you get like a lobotomy, like it, it's just, it's part, it's a, it's a human emotion. It's like saying like, I'm going to get rid of happiness. I'm going to get rid of frustration. Like, no, we're going to still have it. But it's one of those, what Brene calls, it's a full contact emotion that is one of the hardest ones to feel. So what it, what shame resilience looks like is, A, first and foremost, like you have to know the physiolo- your physiology of shame. So what happens to you when you're in shame? For a lot of people, it's like a whole full body flush. Um, either you feel really hot or your blood kind of like runs cold. A lot of people, myself included, get like a tingling in the armpits. You get that like it's it's hormonal, like it's fight or flight, like get me out of here. I want the floor to swallow me up so I never have to see these people again and so I do not ever have to be here. And so for some people, they get really angry. It just depends. So you need to know and identify your physiology of shame. And the next part is knowing what your triggers are. And part of that is what I just explained a few minutes ago of knowing what your unwanted identities are. That way you know that you're in it. So it's a body and a mind thing. It's like, so when you're in it, you're like, oh crap, I'm in shame. And the next part is about speaking it. And this is where it can get kind of tricky because sometimes in the moment we can't. So it's a going back to what I was talking about is having those compassionate witnesses where you can call up after it's over and say, oh my God, here's what happened. So let me give you an example. So about a year ago, we had just moved to North Carolina and my son um, has special needs and I was in a meeting with his elementary school and these were brand new people that I had just met. So it was his first grade teacher, the school principal and the special ed coordinator. So it was these three women and keep in mind, like we had just moved there. I didn't have any friends. So there's like that feeling of like, 
maybe these are friends for me. You know, like, I don't know about you guys, but I kind of get like that needy, like desperate, like I need <laughs> yeah. friends. Yeah, yeah. So I'm kind of like doing the little song and dance a little bit. But um, so we're sitting down in this meeting and we're going over like his whole like medical diagnosis type thing. And they're reading aloud from his, um, it was his like papers from his, the psychologist that did his whole diagnosis. And part of that, I didn't know they were going to read this. Part of that was talking about his health history. And part of that was me. So they're like, Colton Owen, you know, seven years old. His mother, Andrea Owen, also has a history of substance abuse. And I was like, what? Like, <laughs> so, you know, and like immediately I wanted to like interrupt her. And they're reading it out loud, like in this meeting of these three women and myself. And Colton, my son was there, but he's oblivious. And I'm like, first of all, like I wanted to like jump in and be like, wait, 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 wait. I never like did drugs a lot. Like I wanted to explain my story and like tell them, you know, launch into this 10 minute story of like me getting sober and all of that. And like, I'm really a good person and I'm like a life coach and you know, (laughs) I was in shame. Like in that moment, I knew what was happening. It's like that unwanted identity, like as a mother, I don't want people to perceive me as like a former drug addict. I don't want people to perceive me as this like incompetent human. And then and then like, what if other people find out and they're not going to, their kids aren't going to want to play with my child. And so like, you know, we go into this whole story of like what's happening and it's just like exploding right in front of my eyes. So the meeting is over and here's what I could have done. Here's what the former me would have done. A couple of different things. I might have isolated and never volunteered at my kid's school, never would have wanted to see the principal again. And trust me, when you have a kid with special needs, like you are in constant contact with the teacher and the special (laughs) needs coordinator. So that would have happened because I would have been so horrified and ashamed. Or I would have um, definitely just like not told anybody Oh, you know, that's the whole isolation piece. Or I would have people pleased. That would have been the shield that I took out. I would have gone overboard and volunteered for everything to try to prove that I was worthy of being a human and, you know, worthy of love and belonging from these people that that really don't matter to me all that much at that moment. So what I did instead was I went home and I called a friend and I was like, you will not believe what just happened. And I told her and that's what speaking shame is. And it's really about telling the right person the right story at the right time. So if my husband would have come home and would have been all stressed out from work and I launched into this big story, like he may not have been the right person at the right time. And he may have been like, what? And then I would have felt worse. Mm. So it's, I'm emphasizing, you know, shame resilience is about telling this, the right story to the right person at the right time. And I knew who that was. And I knew she was not going to, you know, like I said before, she wasn't going to make me feel like I was overreacting. She wasn't going to try to fix it. She wasn't going to try to one up me like, Oh, that's nothing. Let me tell you what happened at my kids. You know what? That happens. So that's really what shame resilience looks like. You know, the five minute version of it. And it is not easy it's messy. And still sometimes when it happens for me, I'm like, Oh God, like, can I just lock myself in my room and like binge on Netflix and, <laughs> and not tell anybody, but that's the work I do with women and, you know, hold them accountable for that. And sometimes I am that compassionate witness for them to share their shame stories because we all have them. We all have them. Right. And I love that you pointed out like blurting out to your husband when he gets home stressed from work, because I know that I've certainly done that too many times to count just like getting really stressed out and feeling shameful and then immediately calling the first person that comes to mind and just blurting out all my problems Uh not getting the answer I want and then just being like well you don't understand you don't forget it it. 
Yeah, I'm yeah. not going to tell anybody. And then I close oh. up and I get mad and then I'm mad at that person. And then I, normally I focus all my attention on that person and, and just feeling like I can't believe they didn't understand. I forget the original problem. I was mad. I'm just mad at a completely yeah. innocent bystander that has their own life going on. That's blame. Yeah, right? that's another That's another behavior that we engage in when we're – well, for other reasons. But when one, when we're in shame, mm-hmm. blame is another thing that we do. Yeah. But I know, and like, and it's interesting that you said that because like I now know that my mom isn't usually the first person that I call. I adore my mother, but I tell her my stories when I'm out of them because she, my mom likes to like put a silver lining on it and like, oh honey, like my husband last uh, fall lost his job when we first moved to North Carolina. It was horrible. Like we moved here for this job and then ended up totally falling apart. He actually now got a better job and we're, we're fine and dandy. But when that happened, the first person, and sometimes we tend to like tell the same person over and over again when we are in our storms, like hoping that they're going to be the one, hoping that they're going to react the way that, and just be there when we need them to. And over and over again, they're not, a lot of times it's apparent. And I kind of kept doing that with my mom and she would always be like, like for instance, she was like, oh, hey, you know, he'll find another job. And I'm like, like head explosion, like mom, I know this. She's like, oh, and it's like I was waiting for her to sing like the Annie song, like the sun will come out tomorrow. And I'm like, oh, like I'm in it right now. Like deep down, I know we're going to be okay. I know we're not going to be homeless. But right now I need you to say, oh, wow, that sucks. And I'm so sorry that you're having to deal with this. What can I do for you? Like that is what I needed. That's what empathy looks like. And that empathy is not something that we like learn out of the womb. Like empathy, I thought like Mother Teresa and like Princess Diana had that and that was it. But like empathy is is a skill that we need to practice. And it is hard when we love someone and see them in pain, we want to fix it and we want to take that pain away. And that's typically what we do. But, you know, most of the time, all they need is for someone to see them and hear them and and take and perspective take like say like you may not like if if Maddie you were my best friend and I was going through that with my husband like you probably don't have that same you don't know what it feels like to be married to someone and relocate and have them lose their job but you know what it feels like to be awful scared that things aren't going to work out and not knowing what's going to happen next so like that's what the feeling that you need to tap into when you're expressing empathy and, and really being a compassionate witness for somebody Yeah, this is really interesting because with my own boyfriend, a lot of times uh, he'll bring a problem to me and I'll be like, okay, but blah, 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 blah. Like, this is why everything's fine. This is why everything's going to be okay, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I just want you to listen and Mm -hmm. to like just say, oh, that sucks. Like, just listen in and uh, that's all I want. And I try to fix it and I try to fix it. And I'm like, I want everything to be okay. Right. And I like put that on him. I'm like, don't, don't worry about your own problems. But then when the roles are reversed, I want him to do that with me. I want him to listen. But oftentimes too, I do want what I do to him. I do want someone to say, I do. We have had to have this conversation where I'm like, because a lot of times when I come to him with a problem, he'll be like, oh, that sucks. Like, what are you going to do about it? And he like asks me questions. But most of the time, what I want is everything is going to be okay. Because I, when I hear that, then I'm like, yeah. And then my attitude changes. So we've kind of had to work through this through because sometimes I want one thing, other times I want something else. And Mm -hmm. that's just something that 
I am having to work on with him. Right. And it's messy and it's, it it is such a learning process, especially in partnerships. And like now what my husband has learned with me is he lets me, and I I still preface conversations and I'm like, here's what I need. I'm going to probably talk for like five minutes and I just need you to listen. So that means he knows he needs to put his phone down and he has to look at me in the face while I talk. And sometimes I need to remind him, but he's gotten so much better at it. Like he'll listen and he'll say, if nothing else, he says, what do you need from me? And it's such like a moment of relief for me because like he doesn't launch into fix it. He doesn't launch into at worst, like tell me what I did wrong <laughs> and where I could have done it better. Cause that makes me want to punch him in the face. But, and sometimes I'll just say like nothing. I just needed to tell you all of that. Yeah. Or sometimes I'm like, what would you do? Like sometimes I do want advice. Sometimes we do want people to fix it for us. So if, if like that's on us, you guys, like that's on us to tell our partners or our friends or our parents or whomever, like what we actually need because they don't read our minds as much as it would be awesome if they could. They don't. Right. So like I love it when my husband like tells me like exactly if he's going to tell me something, like tells me exactly what he wants. Like, can you help me brainstorm this? And I'm like all over it or help me fix it or just listen. Thank God. It makes things so much easier. <laughs> exactly. That's what I've started to do with my mom because my mom is my best friend and mm-hmm. she is the person I go to for everything. I do have probably two other people that I go to, but not nearly as much as my mom because we do have such a great way of communication. Oh, that's rad. But that's- I had, I definitely had to learn because I, whenever I do do a preface when I'm like, mom, I just want you to listen. Don't give me any advice, please. And then I'll just pour out. And she does exactly that. And she's just so easygoing and she listens and she will listen to the same story as many times (laughs) as I need to get through it. And she just, the thing that she always kind of tells me is that you'll know when you know, like you'll know what to do. You'll feel it. Yeah, that's uh, true. You know, pray about it. You'll get through it, but Mm -hmm. don't do anything right now. Think on it for a day uh, and then we can talk about it later. And then we generally do, but. I love that. I love your mom. Oh, she's the best. She's, (laughs) She's so amazing. She just, my whole family just moved about 12 minutes from me and they were in Texas. I was in Colorado and they moved here. So it's been pretty awesome to be back close to them. Awesome. I love it. So before we go to the quick fire round, where can the listeners find you? Best place to find me is, is yourkickasslife.com. And I have a, a, some free stuff. So if you just go to yourkickasslife.com forward slash free, that's the easiest way to stay in touch with me. And I'm, I love Instagram. So if you want to say hi, I don't get around to Twitter that often, so <laughs> I am there. And Facebook, my Facebook page just kind of like ran away from me. So definitely hit me up on Instagram and uh, yourkickasslife.com. Awesome. Okay, and for all of those links, everyone, you can head on over to maddiemoon.com slash mbm77. And now for the quick fire round. Quick questions. Don't have to put too much thought into them. Actually, they are kind of tough, though. So I don't know why. I always tell people that, but then I realize, like, these are both. So, yeah, I don't do, like, quick answers. <laughs> okay. So, number one, what does body freedom mean to you? Um, what does body freedom mean? Just, you know, what? first thing that came to me is, like, turning 40. Like, I turned 40, and a lot of things changed, both physically and mentally. I'm just, like, I just got tired of (laughs) I got tired of the fight Mm -hmm. so it's just surrender that's really cool I like that uh current book that you're reading or what's a book that you just love 
I'm currently reading The Signature of All Things by Elizabeth Gilbert and a book that I love. I, I read a lot of non-self-help books because I live in this world so much, but I love The Glass Castle. It's a memoir. Um, Jeanette, oh my God, her last name is totally escaping me right now. Jeanette Walls, I think, or Wells. That one was really good. I've read that. I read that probably about 10 years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. Has it been a lot around that long? I don't know. Read it again. Like it's, it's one of those books that like if it's been 10 years, yeah. it's, just, it's such a great story. Yeah. Uh, okay. So who is your biggest inspiration, dead or alive? Um, gosh, I have so many. Probably, and this is, might sound really weird, but my maternal grandmother died 12 years before I was even born. And I, um, she had green eyes and she also had eight daughters, none of, none of whom had green eyes and I do. And so do both of my children. And so I just wish that I would have known her and I make up a lot of stories about her, about how awesome she is. So (laughs) (laughs) she's my inspiration. She's my muse. I love that. Um, what's a good quote you can share with us? Um, one of my all time favorites is Winston Churchill is if you're going through hell, keep going. Because I, I think that so many times, like the story I told of, of my 20s, like we need to lose ourselves in order to find ourselves. Mm-hmm. And um, I know I certainly did. And I, I had that pinned to my in my office when I was going through hell. So it, it is one of my favorites. What is a future dream that you are working towards? So many. But if I had to pinpoint it down to one, it's about having a global conversation with females about shame and the behaviors that we do in spite of them that keep us small. Mm. At the end of a long day, how do you unwind? I have sex with my husband. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) The first thing that came to my mind. That's that's what quick fire rounds are all about. That's awesome. Um, What is a country you have visited and loved or a country you want to visit? Oh my God, I'm the worst at world travel. Like countries I've been to, the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Womp womp. That's more than me. I've only been to Canada, so you win. Oh Yeah, no, I would love to go to Spain because that's where what my ancestry is, and so I would love to visit there. Oh, cool. Um, what is a big failure you have experienced in your life, and what did you learn from it? Um, I just spent 30 minutes talking. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was thinking like, ah. Uh, I'm not gonna read this one. That up. I learned that what I what I the bottom line of what I learned was that so many things, but like I have to listen to my intuition or it will not go away. Like it's never wrong. And really that I am worthy because I made up at the end of those two relationships that I was just really bad at being in a relationship, that I was I was too demanding, I expected too much, and that I was unlovable. And so I learned that none of that is true and that I can only control myself. That's beautiful. That's a great way to wrap this up. So Andrea, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. This is definitely one of my favorite episodes. It was just super honest, super raw. I had a feeling that this podcast would be like that, but it still blew my mind. So thank you so much for for joining us. Yeah, that's kind of my middle name, like honest <laughs> and raw. <laughs> you won't get anything less from me. I'm, I'm honored to be able to share my story here with your people. All right, everybody. Remember that you can find all of her links in the show notes at maddiemoon.com slash mbm77. While you're there, head on over to the sidebar where you can download 10 proven steps for ending any diet obsession. I'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye.